off. Wicked. So, welcome everybody once again Hello. to Lost in the Lockdown. Um, today we are going to be discussing White Rabbit and House of the Rising Sun, episode five and six of Lost First Season. Um, so before I get into talking like I normally do, Scott, have you got some uh, stats for us? I have. I have done the homework. Um, so yeah. Episode 5, White Rabbit. Uh, it aired on October 20th, 2004. Uh, it had 16.8... Sorry, 16.82 million viewers when it aired. Um, so they're still kind of getting those quite high figures. Um, uh, directed by a gent called Kevin Hooks, who is most famous for directing Passenger 57 in the 90s. Oh. Oh right. Um, so in this episode in particular, they obviously didn't go for in-house directors that they had, you know, with uh, Jack Bender um, and writers, you know, like Lindelof and and uh, Abrams himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was written by Christian Taylor, who has done a lot of work on very very famous shows such as The Clone Wars and Ooh. Six Feet Under. So. Oh. Quite a um, yeah, quite a far <laughs> far removed from um, Clone Wars. Um, Definitely, yeah. Uh, so it was uh, it was particularly well acclaimed by critics. Um, it's particularly um, noted for its uh, first in depth look into Jack as a character, which we'll be going into obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, as an added bonus to my introduction, uh, famous birthdays. So we have John Krasinski. Uh, Snoop Dogg as well. Um, uh, <laughs> Tom Petty, who's no longer with us, unfortunately. Uh, Vigo, a Smortenson, not from Ghostbusters too, and <laughs> and uh, and my dad as well. So uh, yeah, wow. quite, quite a lot of famous birthdays on that one. I've got some for the next episode. They're not as well. There's a, there's a couple, but there's one not so riveting. Uh, well, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just say what everyone's thinking, and even though it's not today, but happy birthday, John Krasinski! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I happy think he's, the... yeah, he would turn forty, I think, this year or last year. He's a big boy cool now. guy, cool guy. I think Snoop Dogg's probably about sixty now. He's a granddad, isn't he, Snoop Dogg? Just well, whilst we're digressing, <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. He's probably dipped his toes into many a different paddling pool, so. <laughs> <laughs> to put it politely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to have a look now. But whilst we, so thank you, Scott, for the stats there. So we'll jump straight into it. So as you've already stated, this is the first Jack-centric episode. Um, I guess where I'd begin is really. I think I think it really starts with the flashbacks, and it's the young Jack, if I remember rightly, yeah. and he's getting bullied. Or yeah. by some, um, oh, no, sorry, he his mate's getting bullied, isn't he? And then he gets beaten up as a result of it. That's yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that's and the, and then he goes to see his dad, <clears throat> Christian Shepherd, who we've already discussed. Quality name, <laughs> um, and he he kind of gives him that uh, that pep talk about basically he's not got what it takes to be a hero, which we know from what we've seen so far is completely not the case but it kind of instills that that doubt that you know jack's got yeah it was kind of like um 
kind of that classic superhero origin almost where um someone from their youth like whether it's a parent or a peer or, or someone who's um you know like a bit they might be um at odds with you and they'll throw the uh that classic sort of tropey line you won't amount to anything you know um you might think you're something big but you're not um but it was done in in quite a a, di- a bit of a different way where it's like the father directly saying to the child nah you're you're, you're nothing mate <laughs> i'm the only success in this family basically um mm. which was nice but you know it wasn't as, as explicit as that but you got those you got that very sort of hostile kind of vibe from from christian yeah I think as well it jumps so uh, these flashbacks the the very erratic obviously because it's the first introduction and we know as the series goes on that they do drop a lot more uh, events within the timelines of each character yeah. but you know obviously you've got a young jack at the start and then this is very much a fast forward to Christian has uh, you know abruptly left for Australia and that's when his mum's asking him to bring him back and obviously we know that his dad doesn't come back alive but you know it, it's quite telling i think from that line that he doesn't have what it takes it, it obviously sticks with him i don't know if anyone else would agree with that oh yeah i mean i was trying to interject no i'd like i, I agree completely because it's it's very interesting i remember um back whenever lost was was first airing do, do any of you remember the website um television without pity I'm not familiar no, with it. Not no, I can remember. No, it's just they they used to do recaps of every episode, and it was it was back in when Lost was was airing, two thousand four, uh, and I just always remember them referring to the the island as a whole as um like Daddy Issues Island, you know, and there's there's a lot of characters that that, that really applies to, um, yeah, Jack Jack especially, uh, you know, in this in his first spotlight episode, but when you think. Like you go through all the different characters, you're like, okay, well, yeah. not to give anything away, but like I can think of maybe five off the top of my head, um, including the the next episode we're going to talk about. So you have like Kate, Sawyer, Locke, Jack, um, who else? Jin. Hugo. Uh, oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Cheech. Yeah. Cheech um, Marin, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, I should say, I, I think superhero origin is a good, is a, is a really good way of putting it because, I mean, Jack is our de facto lead character i guess um mm. so i guess those are the qualities you want to have in um in your lead character and it's it's a very again i feel like i'm repeating myself but it is a very succinct and economic way of, of getting that across um and you know it the the backstory only gets filled in more and more with each jack episode and you're just like it, it just it really endears you to jack right off I mean, yeah. we, we already had that in the pilot where he's where he's immediately the the man of action, but yeah, the flashbacks just yeah. I mean, it's it does have that superhero quality to him. I do think. I think it is a very good analogy yeah. in a way. He does have that quality, you know. In the pilot, all he needs is a cape, really, doesn't he, to be running across the beach <laughs> saving all the people. That's how I look at it. He pretty much is doing yeah, that. He's like, he's yeah, a Superman yeah. going to save people in peril um, in like a disaster. It's it pretty much is spot on. It's it's almost um, it's almost right on the nose. Um, like you say, all he needs is the cape. But I think it's quite telling how as a character Jack was somewhat mentally. Uh, well, I'm not going to say abused, but he was definitely um, 
broken down. Yeah, well, yeah, that's it. I'll try and find like a, a lesser way of describing it. Because yeah, I know been, what you mean. Um, but he was affected by his dad. But funnily enough, he still pursued the same career, which is even more telling, I think. Yeah, He kind absolutely. of wanted to prove himself to his dad. Yeah, I think it's yeah, that age-old yeah. thing, isn't it, where he's got a lot of... He harbors a lot of guilt for whatever reason. Well, as the series goes on, we, we get to know more of these things. But I think even though his, his dad does... Uh, mentally torment him, I guess, throughout his life. It's all to kind of, in his own weird way, harden him to the facts of life, I guess. Uh, but like you say, he, he does, in the end, ironically, pursue exactly the same thing as his dad just because he wants to... He basically, It's that age-old thing. He basically wants him to love him. Yeah. That's it. He just wants to be good in the eyes of his dad. And that is, again, I think quite a familiar trope in a lot of TV series. Definitely. Yeah, and it, yeah, and it, I think um, I lost my train of Sorry, ignore that. <laughs> I was just reading the note. No, sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I think it, it sort of works works against Jack sometimes, you know, because everybody sees him as this sort of leader. And I think in this episode especially, um, again, it's it's he's a bit delirious and he's he's saying things, but you know, he he really doesn't want that role thrust upon him, you know, and. Uh, even though that's the kind of thing he's been working towards to maybe spite his dad. But when it comes to life on the island, it's like, no, just just leave me alone. I don't want this. Yeah, I, I don't know if you, if you agree, but do you think in a weird way that when he's on the island, he's kind of got to become something like his dad, like in that position of um, power almost, because Christian's like, well, he's the head surgeon, isn't he, in his field, and, and he's got that authority to him. And almost in a very mm-hmm. ironic way, when Jack does get to the island and he, he, he does show his, his skills as a surgeon and as a as a leader, whether he means to or not, he does in a weird way have to come into the shadow of his dad, even though no one else knows who, well, at this time that we know uh, people know Christian, he does thrust himself into that role, whether he means to or not. I do think he's very much like his dad and he just doesn't realize it at this time anyway. Yeah, I think a lot yeah. of um, sons and daughters will have a similar, a similar thing will happen to them in their life where they'll, they'll try so hard to not be like their parent and then they'll just um, unconsciously, they'll be exactly like, or they'll act exactly like them. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. As, Definitely. I, I try so hard not to be like my dad because we're completely different, but mm. I end up saying things like he would say them or reacting like he would react and it's <laughs> terrifying. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, just as a as a, a personal example, this has nothing to do with Lost, but it's like anytime I remember my dad being angry, he always makes like this this face. And it's not necessarily an angry face, it's just more of an emotionless, but I'm staring straight at you and you know you've done something wrong face. And I know <laughs> that I make that exact same face whenever my son does something. Because <laughs> the look in his face is exactly the same as yours when you was his yeah, age, probably. hundred <laughs> percent. And then in that moment do you go, Oh my god. <laughs> Oh yeah, I, I am my I, I am my dad. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sins of the father. Love it. <laughs> exactly, and and I mean that like it's like you say, Daddy Issues Island. It is, it, it as the series goes on, it's very clear that that is one of the main through lines, I guess, for all the characters. Without a doubt, yeah. yeah. And obviously, we'll get Even, into it, but you know, there's someone else that's involved with Christian as well. Well, there's a few, but specifically one character. Oh, of course, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fuck. 
sorry to <laughs> remind you so early on, but yeah, yeah, sorry, I didn't say any name, but yeah. So there's a lot going on with Christian that at this time we just assume he's a bit of a bit of a mess and a bad dad, and obviously you get the revelation that he's a bit of an alcoholic as well. In yeah. this one, he had like mm. two empty bottles of whiskey in his drawer. Or something. It's like, kid, this guy just went for it. Oh like, yeah, when you get when is that when Jack's at the hotel? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the guy said, "Oh, like, there's no way he's going to rent a car in this condition." I was like, "Of course, look at that fucking not empty bottle. No way." That guy's <laughs> I always, I always liked it that Jack was like, "What are you trying to imply? He, my father, is the head of surgery or whatever." And it's like, still don't mean he can't drink two bottles of whiskey, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> If anything, he can do what he wants, really. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, well, I'm just reminding myself of on my notes as well. But he's very much stubborn, like Christian as well, because he he doesn't want to go to Australia to find him. He thinks his dad's a lost cause. I think. I bet it'll. It obviously takes a lot of pushing, but he does end up going, and it's all part of that overall plan to get him onto the island, but. I just think that, where was I? Where was I? Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, I think the bit where he identifies Christian's body in the morgue's quite a, it's Matthew Fox selling it completely. And I think it's a, that is the amalgamation of everything we've kind of just touched upon, is that, you know, he doesn't want to be like his dad. He kind of hates his dad, but he respects him and he loves him a lot, and it all kind of hits him in the face when he sees his body. I think he has a lot of... Um... He obviously owes him a lot. Like, there's, there's the big debt of gratitude because his dad would, I mean, without seeing much in terms of context, but you could just presume from what we've seen already that his dad was instrumental in him becoming a, do- a doctor. So, um, mm-hmm. I mean, that's just easy to see just just by the fact they are in a similar field. Um, and also the fact that his mum was pleading for him to go to Australia. Um, and he, I mean, he did take a few, it did take him a few seconds for him to actually. Uh, accept it and say, yeah, okay, I'll go. But he's, you know, if he really didn't want to go, he wouldn't have gone. So I think that says it all, really. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of um, like the we don't find out in this episode, but I, I sort of remember bits and pieces of what happens. And Tom, you could probably watch ahead, so you can probably confirm this. <laughs> but there's a huge element of of guilt to why Jack goes. Um, yes. And, like I'm. I'm yeah, isn't that right? Yeah, I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, more, more um, or less, there is then, there is an aspect of that definitely. I just think I just thought it was quite nice um, because the opening to this episode is where, isn't it? Where Jack tries to save the the woman from drowning, and mm-hmm. ends up I was going to get to that. Yeah. Uh, instead, you know. So I mean, Jack's whole thing is guilt. Um, uh, there's a lot of characters whose whose guilt drives what they do, but I think Jack's is is probably. His guilt drives him the most, I would say, and this episode is, is very good at that. And obviously, he's he's seeing the the visions of of his dad. Um, it's a bit it's a bit on the nose. It's a bit it's not exactly subtle, but um, it, I think it, it works really well. Again, I, I've got to stop saying this works really well, but it, but it really does. <laughs> no, but I think I think it's ap- you're absolutely correct. You, when you really do start talking about it, you do realize how all these things are just put. To us, anyway, I know we're I know we're fans of the show and everything, but when you do actually think of it from a very logical point of view, they are all 
expertly written plot points that just work so well together. I mean, my, my, another to further the superhero analogy, whilst you've mentioned it, we'll, we'll move on to the island events. So obviously it opens with, like you say, they fail to save the drowning woman. He does save someone. Mm-hmm. Now, it's obviously a horrible set of events that poor, poor lass ends up losing a life. But to Jack, it's not enough. Clearly, it's not enough that he's just saved Boone. It's never and, enough. You just say bone. <laughs> well, well, yeah, we'll get to that as we go along. But you know what I mean. It's yeah. just, and and he feels like you know he he feels that he has to be able to do it. It's almost like it's it's written into his DNA mm. that he mm. he has to be able to do it. So what Christian was telling him when he was younger, you don't have what it takes. Well, that's him, you know, flipping the bird at his dad <laughs> to say I'm going to do it. Yeah. And when he can't do it, he can't take it. He can't stand it. Because in a way, he knows his dad was right. Yeah, and then obviously Bone was uh, was 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 kind of like scratching that itch. He was pushing him and pushing him after the fact, and then that's when he lashed out. Well, you know, he kind of lashed out at Bone and said, "You know, well, you didn't do anything to save the girl, did you? And you're a lifeguard. You didn't do fuck all. You didn't. Yeah. You know, you were useless. Um, Why are you here? Yeah, <laughs> basically. Um, which which is quite it has good timing in that because um, then he obviously sees Christian. And then uh, his little foray into the woods happens, <laughs> which I did yes. enjoy this episode. It's probably one of my favorite my favorite parts of the first season. Is um, when we'll go into it, obviously, but when when John goes to find him, I quite like the lead up to that and the actual conversation I have. Well, let's get into it whilst we're thinking about it. So, go ahead, really. <laughs> okay. Oh right. yeah. So so um so uh, I was about to say Matthew. <laughs> Jack goes. Jack sees a, a vision of of Christian, um, who we know at this point we don't know is dead. Do we know he's dead at this point? Uh, probably um, not. I think it's later on in the episode with the yeah. second or third flashback. I want to yeah. say. Well, he he sees Christian again. He follows him and um, he catches up to the, the to Christian and he follows him and ends up falling down a cliff and hanging off the edge of another cliff. So he rolls down a hill. Sorry, this big action sequence. Rolls down a cliff, <laughs> and then he falls off the edge of a cliff and grabs onto the edge. Uh, and conveniently, John uh, has found his <laughs> found a way to reach Jack, even though he has no idea where he is. Um, John has gone to find water because someone on the on the the, the beach has somewhat uh, somehow. Uh, taken the water which they needed for Claire. Um, so John, uh, who seems quite apathetic about it, says it's okay, it'll be fine because John's very zen at the moment. He everything's great for him. He goes off to find the water and he finds Jack pretty conveniently, uh, pulls him up, and uh, Jack actually tells him about the vision he had. Which he doesn't give any detail as such, but um, he tells about the vision that he has, and uh, John kind of plays this kind of psychological game with him, and says, "Well, are you crazy, or was it a real? You know, was it a real ghost?" And Jack says, "Well, I'm a doctor, so I'd say it's a hallucination." But John kind of goes, "Well, I know this I'm special, so." That's, that he kind of throws it back at him to try and you know, trying to make him think about it a bit more in terms of what's been going on in the island. You know, is it in your head or is it 
the fact that his son's special. Um, yeah. So John is kind is, of playing that, his mental mind games with him almost. Is that is that the scene where? Um, correct me if I'm wrong. The the kind of having the chat and he, he's. John's kind of inferring about Jack being the leader, but Jack kind of reiterates what Christian said all those years ago to him, where he's saying he doesn't have what it takes. Yeah, that's yeah, that's right. Um, so he tells John that he doesn't believe he's a leader, um, but um, John, uh, sorry, Jack says he doesn't believe he's a leader, but John reiterates uh, reiterates the fact that other people see him as one. So it, yeah. he's trying to reinforce that onto him. That his actions obviously speaking louder than words, um, and then there's this really great line that John says uh, when I think that when they depart, I think he says something like, "Oh, um, a leader can't lead till he knows where he's going," which I thought yeah. was quite quite a powerful line. Yeah, definitely. And also as well, just thinking about that, that's a bit of a. I know it's not a lock centric episode, but it's it's also nice to see that that beginning. Uh, of his and Jack's um, locking horns, I guess, with one another. It's very subtle at the moment because obviously you don't know much about Locke. Apart, well, obviously the previous episode, excluding the characters themselves, don't really know much about it. But you've got that idea now that he's a very spiritual being, and you know, lots has happened to him in this time. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to see where he's going with it. It's kind of more of like yeah. a meeting of minds. It's more of an intellectual yeah. battle to have at the moment. They're, they're different ideologies. And as, as we kind of know from Walkabout, uh, John is in a far better position in terms of what's going on. He's in a stronger position because he knows more about the island's capabilities. Um, yep. Obviously, we're getting his, his use of his legs back. So he's got more... He's, he's holding his cards fairly close to his chest, but he's still... He's he's trying to get Jack to quote unquote believe, Um, and he's seen Smokey at this point as well, hasn't he? Yeah, so he knows way more. Yeah, (laughs) and I guess he's got he's got he's got more um, credit to mention when he's saying to him, you know, was it a hallucination? Does it really matter if it was or it wasn't? Because ultimately, you know, there's a smoke monster on the island. He knows that. So he's got the ammunition there, but whether it whether it's real or not, he's kind of irrelevant on this island. So just kind of go with it. Yeah. I think. Well, I think there's like a throwaway line when someone says when they're in the cave, and someone says, "Oh, you shot a polar bear the other day." So like, you know what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. That, basically, that's good. It's <laughs> funny you should mention. Oh, it, it... Um, no, I was just. I was, it's funny you mentioned uh, Smokey because I was. I was wondering, like, is because they have the conversation in the episode. You know, is he delusional? Um, is he having the hallucination or is it is it a ghost? So I went on the the lost Wikipedia, the Lostopedia, and apparently the, it is canonically um, the 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 form of Christian Shepherd that, that Jack sees is actually Smokey. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So unfortunately, that puts that puts paid to the theory. But obviously, at that time, we we didn't know, you know, uh, yeah. we didn't know what the smoke think, monster think, was, um... what Smokey was, but I just had to find out. Yeah, I think um, re- retroactively, or like you say, canonically, every character that sees <laughs> sees a dead person, to go a bit sixth sense yeah, there, yeah. I think they basically retroactively said, okay, that is the smoke monster in the form of whomever. Yeah. Which yeah. makes sense. But I just think it's quite nice. It lends to it. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I just think it's quite nice because um, obviously at the end of this episode, or quite near the end of the episode, Jack finds the caves, but he also finds the, the coffin and it's it's empty. So, you know, first time watching, you don't know because at this stage we know that Locke has, has regained the use of his legs and you're just like, uh, maybe can this island resurrect dead people? Um, so it, it, that's, quite a, that's quite a nice mystery if you're watching this for the first time um, because we haven't seen Smokey yet. Um, I just thought I'm, I'm sort of keeping track of all the, the ongoing mysteries as well um, as if I was watching it for the first time. And I, I think that's quite a good one when he finds the empty coffin. Because then he, he doesn't he start smashing it in anger when yeah. he opens it up. Yeah, he destroys that thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really yeah. <laughs> Don't you think Matthew Fox can just yeah. sell anything? I'm just, just talking about Matthew Fox <laughs> for a minute. He just, honestly, I, I watch it. I know I'm a bit further ahead, but that man is incredible. He's such a good actor. <laughs> I really do think he's underrated and he's not been in anything recently. But no. he's just fantastic. And in this show, especially, there's the one thing I, I've, I've picked up from a lot of the show is that the Jack episodes are definitely up there in terms of the best quality. And I don't know if that's because, like we've already said, he's kind of the de facto protagonist. You know, you've kind of got to make something interesting of your protagonists but there are significantly weaker characters in comparison and i think they just they just know what they want to do with him they're just such strong episodes and i love every time i know it's one of his episodes yeah no i agree i i I mean it's like when you say about matthew fox in his career um i mean he's got he's got everything you'd need to be a leading man in the film you know he's you know He's got a, um, uh, you know, he's got a great talent for conveying different emotions. You know, he's a good-looking guy. He's got tattoos. I don't know what more can you want from a leading man. So, um, it's just funnily yeah. enough, I, I had I had a look the other day, um, Reek, to see how many more tattoos he's got, and he's got a full sleeve now. Oh God, he looks. Yeah, he's got full-on coloured sleeve on one arm. Um, <laughs> he's got full belly. I was like. <laughs> I don't think he's gone quite full Ben Affleck <laughs> just yet. But are those yeah. his real tattoos? Th- then? That's not just for the show. No, they're real. Oh right, okay. I, real. I thought they were just like a well, bit of we, color for the show. No, well, I can we can mention that now now that we've brought it up. But yeah, they um, the writers, from what I can re- gather, they incorporated them in. Uh, there's an episode further on down the line where he he gets them in the um, show. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, but they incorporated it because he had them for real. But obviously, as the series went on, oh, I think okay. he, I think I think he started getting more whilst they were still in production. So they had to like put fake skin over the new <laughs> tattoos because <laughs> they were like, okay, I don't That's think like, Jack um... can get tattoos on the island. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, did but you yeah, ever now... prison break? Oh God, <laughs> yeah. Funnily enough, the whole basis of prison break where they had the, the full body, or well, like yeah. the upper half of his body covered in tattoos. And then when when the tattoos became less of a plot point, your man just always wore long sleeve shirts. Like, even yes. if it was roasting, <laughs> the sun being down, like, no, nah, I'm just going to keep wearing these long sleeve shirts. It's fine. It's when so they got, it's when they got to like. Stick- on yeah, it's like when they got to season five, they were like, right, we really don't know what we can do with these tattoos anymore. <laughs> and we don't really know why we're still yeah. doing this show because. You know, how, how many prison breaks can you pull? Uh, it was all right to start with, and then it just got silly. 
And funnily enough, when I was just having a look on Wikipedia after Scott gave us the stats, that Kevin Hooks chap, funnily enough, directed a fair bulk of Prison Break. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah, he directed three or four episodes a season by the looks of it. And one episode of The Punisher when it was on Netflix. So he, he's 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 familiar with network television, let's put it that way. Yeah. And I do think he does actually quite a good job of conveying everything that's going on, because just to bring it back to told Foxy, Mr. Fox, um, he finds the, the water, doesn't he, in the cave, I've just remembered. So yeah. he's, he's found the shelter, but he's also found the coffin. So, John, what other, what other mysteries have we got at the moment, then, if you're keeping up with them? <laughs> well, um, hang on, I've got to go back a couple of pages here. Um, so we have the, the monster, we have Smokey, we still have the polar yep. bear, um, yep. the French woman. Well, I had Kate, but Kate's, Kate's sorted now. We know she's a fugitive. And um, potentially, you know, what the island can do. Because at this mm. point, we don't know that the, the vision of Jack's dad was smoky. We, we just might think that the island can resurrect dead people. So within five episodes, you've got basically five fairly major hanging threads there. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing that's amazing when you think about it that's ballsy for a first season yeah. of a show like this it's just mad yeah. i mean it, 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 yeah, it works well to keep you, you coming back week after week you know absolutely absolutely so i guess whilst he smashes up the coffin infrastration there's nothing in there the side plot as we've already alluded to is the water so obviously jack does find the water fresh water spring um boone's caught out if i remember rightly or does he steal some water he does so i think initially because charlie's tried to find the water he can't find it then they go to um gin do they go to gin first yeah they do yes and uh he i'm trying to think what happens so i think he's absolved and then he he, oh sorry i remember Sawyer sold him the water for <laughs> some magic beans or something. I don't know. <laughs> so then, oh, Sawyer, <laughs> they go to Sawyer and he's like got loads of beans in front of him and he's got a couple of his books there. Uh, so Kate confronts him and he kind of reiterates that he sold them to to Jin. From when it goes after that, I don't know how they get to Bone. Maybe yeah, well, someone sees I've, him. I think. I think I've just remembered. So it, it, they they get into a bit of a scrap verbally, and I think a bit physically as well. And Boone kind of admits he stole the water because he, he was trying to take responsibility for rationing it uh, oh, yeah. in 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 all his glory. You know, pretty boy glory, bless him. Uh, but this is when Jack returns and kind of again, whether he means to or not, puts himself in the position of leader and gives that little speech which he i does, absolutely uh, love yeah he does a he does a john kimball from yes he does Cop. he goes shut up <laughs> my personal favorite of that is just when arnie runs out of t- out of the uh the school and just goes Nyah! <laughs> he doesn't say anything other than that uh, but i think th- <laughs> this neck this the speech he gives is the I guess now famous one if we can't live together we're going to die alone i yeah. think that becomes a pretty big mantra yeah. throughout the rest of the series so he's mm-hmm. he, he pulls everything together um 
to put himself in that leadership role and say, we're going to do this in the morning. Half of us are going to go and have a look. We'll get some water. We'll bring it back to the beach. We're going to move inland. And when you think about it, the whole reason he got to where he got to was his dad. So again, there's that wonderful synergy between the flashbacks and what's happening on the island that the initially, anyway, the writers did so well with do you, doing. Do you think that the, well, I certainly thought that the, the destruction of the, of the coffin was almost cathartic for Jack. Yes, definitely. When he comes back, he's very composed. He's more at peace, and he just straight, just straight away takes control and tries to organize things again. Whereas yeah. five minutes before that, he was a bit of a mess. And <laughs> for the duration of the episode, he is so. Yeah, it's it's a literal and metaphorical thing of saying I'm 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 absolving myself of you of yeah. of the person you were, who you represented to me, how you made me feel. Um. You know, you are dead. The coffin's empty. It's, it's literal in the sense that the coffin's empty. So like John says, you know, we've still got the mystery of has the island resurrected him? But I guess from a personal point of view for Jack, it's literally, okay, it's empty. You are actually gone now. Yeah. There's no more of you. Go away. I've had enough of you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very cathartic. Yeah. No, it's, it's it's again, really effective. And I keep coming back to the score in, in these episodes, but... That just it, it it hits home, you know that that Giacchino score. It's very very evocative, and uh, I, I have I have a note about that in the next episode as well. But yeah, just all comes together in the end. And as you say, just major catharsis for Jack, and just just I think, a, it, I think it, a real sorry, full moment. No, no, sorry, just a, just full circle. You know, a, a perfect end to this little sort of, I guess, mini arc of the episode. Hmm. Yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't end on a particularly shocking twist or surprise. It's just perfectly. It's like we've said before, where there's that kind of nice, nice-ish ending to each episode, I guess, before something else comes in its place. But I do think, you know, ultimately, this is the underlying message was about Jack's journey to find out who he really is because he's got this conflicted relationship with his dad, and how is the island going yeah. to reinvent him? almost and it certainly puts him in that position as if you didn't think he was the main character in the opening episode he definitely is now i think he's definitely yeah he's definitely um more um open to embracing that role of leader like because what john said earlier on the episode he can't lead until he knows where he's going but he seemingly knows now where he's where you know where he's trying to get to and i think yeah a lot of that does rest with the dad thing and the um the discovery of, of the of the coffin. So, uh, yeah, I think the next the next four, three or four episodes, you'll start to, we'll start to see Jack more as um, a composer or leader, Jack, and more sure of himself. Yeah, absolutely. And just whilst I'm thinking about it as well, I think this is one of the probably the first episode I can think of really that t- starts to touch upon symbolism as a fairly uh, effective tool. So obviously, the episode's called White Rabbit. Quite obvious. An, an allusion to Alice's adventures in Wonderland follow the white rabbit mm-hmm. deeper, di- deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole whilst meeting all these different characters. Uh, obviously Jack follows his dad mm-hmm. further and deeper into the jungle. J- I love little stuff like that. I know it's, it's fairly on the nose, but again, symbolism, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> you can't beat it. There is a little bit, there's a bit of um, a bit to the end of the flashback where he's arguing with the, ticket agent is to get christian's coffin on the flight 
and initially she's not letting him do it and he has that actually again another little wonderful scene where he's he's having sort of a breakdown he's just more frustrated but he says he needs it to be over yeah and, oh, again, yeah, and again, that that's just yeah. perfect, Jack, isn't it? All over. He says he needs to bury his father. It's probably not because he's upset by it. It's just because he's done with him. He needs it to be over. And and that lends into the cathartic nature of destroying the coffin, I think. I, I, whenever I see like emotional scenes at like an airport desk, I only think of Steve Martin in planes, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I need to watch that again. I ain't watched that in so long. But he's, yeah, he's, he's, no, he's great in that scene. That, yeah, those lines of dialogue from Jack are just absolutely spot on. They just tell you everything you need to know about his feeling about about his dad. He just wants it to be over. Yeah, he's had enough. It's the last straw. And I think it starts with him basically saying, you know, I'm in I'm wearing the suit that I'm going to be wearing to my father's funeral. <laughs> he just doesn't give a hearse. fuck about him. He just wants no, to be he's like I'm like I'm in I'm I've got a hearse waiting for me at LAX when we <laughs> land from this specific plane to get my father's coffin. So just do give me a break. <laughs> it's brilliant. No, That's it's, it's, it's a phenomenal episode. He hates him that much that he's that or he's organized to the letter. In terms of how he's going to off him, like uh, bury him. Like, yeah, everyone's got to go swimmingly, according to plan. It's brilliant. It's just, it's great, just great character character um, development, really. Yeah, it no, really is. And, and like in, in that that we seen in the airport, uh, this isn't this has no sort of thematic um, reasoning behind it, but it's just like I always like seeing people, and it happens throughout the first season. You know, cameo in other people's flashbacks. You know, you get a split yeah. second look at Jin waiting behind him in the queue. It's always one of those things. Oh, yeah. that, that meme that's been going around of uh, Rick Dalton pointing. You know, that, that was me. It was like, oh, there's Jen. There's Jen. There's so many Rick Dalton moments in this series. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Just pointing out everything. I think um, as well, yep. we'll go on to it, obviously, because it's the next episode. But I think you get the the same scene, but from Jin's point of view next. So you'll you hear Jack very briefly in the background of that scene as as the next episode uh, comes into play, which we will now move on yeah. to. So, House of the Rising Sun, episode six. What are the stats for this one, Scott? Okay, so it aired a week after the last one, obviously, 27th of October 2004. Uh, the viewership um, was slight growth from the previous one, 16.83 million viewers. So, uh, uh, 100,000, uh, sorry, 10,000 up from the previous, or sorry, 1,000 up from the previous week. Um, if my ass is correct, uh, anyway, one up. Um, directed by Michael Zimberg. Oh, hang on, birthdays, right? Famous birthdays, uh, <laughs> British comedy legend and all round nice fella, John Cleese, uh, hey. Oscar winning Italian actor Roberto Benigni, mm-hmm. um, who directed, uh, I think, it was, um, what's that film called? He did. Uh, is that like uh, Life is Beautiful? Life is Beautiful, yeah. Um, which he, I think he, yeah, he won the Oscar for that, Best Actor. And Kelly Osbourne. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so there, there's your there's your star-studded birthday I, I love that. It was like, <laughs> and Kelly Osbourne. Yeah. <laughs> um, the director of this was Michael Zimberg. Uh, he's had a very, he's, he's well into his 70s now. He's had quite a varied career over 
television. So he's directed shows such as Monk, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Taxi, Jag, if you remember Jag from the 90s, um, The Blacklist, and also, which I discovered to my horror, the US version of Men Behaving Badly. No way. Yeah, that happened. I think it lasted... There was a US version? Yeah, it lasted for two seasons as well. What? And it starred your boy Rob Schneider. Oh, God. (laughs) Imagine that. It gets gets worse. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, that's what I'm going to research later. Yeah, I'll think about going down the YouTube... Uh, YouTube hole for that. Uh, written by um, this one's quite funny actually. Um, directed by a guy called uh, Javier Graham Marshawash, who is a uh, he was a writer for The Middleman, which was a comic series which is still going. Um, he initially wrote The Middleman with the intention to be uh, picked up for television. They decided to publish it as a comic, which was then picked up by ABC as television show later on in two thousand eight. And then it was cancelled the same year. <laughs> so it's kind of all gone full circle with that one. Oh, man, that's awful. Yeah. So, but he's... That's, that's horrible. <laughs> but he's doing quite a lot of... I didn't note down, but he, has, he is still quite a prolific writer and he's still quite well regarded among Lost fans. Um, I mean, this, this episode in particular is quite significant because it won an award along with the pilot episode and the next episode, which is The Moth, I think it's called, or Moth. Um, uh, the moth, yeah, yeah, for the uh, depiction of Charlie's drug addiction, it won a, pr- a Prism Award, which I think it kind of um, focuses on drug portrayal, addiction portrayal, and um, uh, mental health as well in television shows. So those three episodes won this award. So it's yeah, quite a significant one in terms of Charlie as well as Jin and Son. So jumping into the episode, then House of the Rising Sun. So. When I was younger, I guess, like, I don't know why, but I wasn't, obviously, like, I wasn't into my subtitled films back then and everything, and this is an episode that is obviously very subtitle heavy. It's very, um, it's just very different to what I, at the time, knew about film and TV. And also, I always felt a bit of a disconnect for Sun and Jin at the time. But I, I now realize that that is exactly the point. Mm. Um, so the majority of the episodes in Korean, and the more I've watched it, the older I've got, the more I think it's probably one of my favorite episodes of the season, if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, for me as well. It's it's really really good. Like that as as a couple, I think Jin and Sun are just really really interesting and like even right from this episode um i I think even the before the the pre-credits like in the cold open um it subverts the relationship uh you know from what we've thought of thus far you know jin's very overprotective of of sun you know he's kind of like um and i hope i'm not out of out of line for saying this but it's like the stereotypical overbearing it's like it seems to be like an like an Asian character stereotype stereotype that he's like an overbearing husband or, or an yeah. overbearing father. I know what you mean. Am I, would I be okay in saying that? Do you think? Um, and the the episode with the flashback almost immediately subverts it in that she's the I guess our, the, the the rich socialite type person, and he was the um, he was a waiter for her, her her father or something like that. I just thought it was quite nice because everything thus far you're led to believe it sort of the other way, the power dynamic. Um, and this one Absolutely, just right yeah. off the bat, like, oh, it's the other way around. 
Absolutely, because she the the flashbacks start with Sun at a party and she's getting served champagne by Jin, isn't she? He's the waiter, and then that from there. I mean, there's obviously other points, like we said with Jack's episode. You know, in the flashbacks, there's always more to come, but then obviously they develop mm-hmm. the relation a relationship, and that's when Sun wants to run away to America, but Jin's yeah. insisting that you know he does the honourable thing, which I guess is another. Not a stereotype. It's a very respectful thing in in Asian culture, you know, to oh, yeah, yeah. tell the father that they are seeing one another, to ask for the hand in marriage and things and such forth. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, there was there was so much in this that f- for me, just I I don't know what I was missing initially. I I just I don't know. I never as soon as it was one of the especially in the early days when it was very. Um, subtitle heavy and i just didn't feel like a lot was happening and now i watched it back and i was i was gripped i don't know i just i saw it in a whole new light i really don't know why yeah. it was just nominally written yeah it's um, it's an excellent episode and like i think the 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 language barrier you know i mean the majority of the cast are, are all speaking english obviously but it's such a a logical choice you know obviously if it's an international flight there are going to be lots of nationalities and, and different people from different Absolutely. countries you know it's it, it makes perfect sense and i don't know if like as you say 2004 i don't know if there were huge amounts amounts of shows taking the risk of having an episode that was not entirely subtitled but the majority of it as as being in in korean you know um yeah it's just it, it just makes perfect sense, you know, rather than having them speak English. Anyway. Absolutely, I think I think to to my knowledge, this especially in I guess modern TV culture, I cannot think of a more international cast than Lost, really. Um, yeah, and especially as the series progresses, because as as we've discussed, you get Triple A, and you get even Anna Lucia, you know, people like that. You know, mm. it's a very diverse show so yeah i mean even up until just from a bit of a divergence from my point of view but something something like uh inglorious bastards in film world you know that entire 30 minute openings all in french uh for the most part and even that initially when i was still trying to appreciate you know trying to appreciate that side of things put me off at first and then i just realized it's the best bit of the film you know it's it's just such a masterclass of tension and character development and this, and it's the same here um, but dri- just driving through the flashbacks, you get that nice opening where they meet, they develop this relationship, and then I think the second flashback is with, uh, one of some time after they've been married, Jim returns home covered in the blood, mm-hmm. and that's when you think, oh shit, <laughs> that's a bit of a difference, and this is where that power dynamic that you mentioned, John, starts to come into play. I think. He just sort of becomes the cold person that we've seen in the first five episodes. Yeah, it's. I just think character development wise, it's it's just really really interesting. And like going forward, again, not to spoil too much, I think the like the the language barrier. Like eventually, Jin spoilers um, learns English, and by I think it's the fourth or fifth season, he's just speaking in English. Which he's speaking in English because like for Sun, I would imagine. Um, just just yeah. so they can they can communicate with the other survivors better, and I think it's it's really clever to to drive the story in this episode because as I say, of course you'd have different languages on the plane, but it, it fuels the tension, you know, because 
you don't know why Jin has been has attacked Michael or well obviously the rest of the survivors because they are all speaking English they have no clue why he did it and he has no way to communicate to them why he did it it's just it's just a great way of of really upping the tension and there's a point where is it Saeed is going to like question him yeah I'm just like oh why just oh I just wish you could all talk to each other because I'm sure there's a perfectly valid reason um <laughs> yeah but yeah just, just for creating drama Really, absolutely a really good device yeah let's let's talk about that then because yeah so on the island sun attacks um sorry no sun doesn't attack Jin. Jin attacks michael <laughs> on the beach for mm-hmm. no apparent reason and i believe mm-hmm. it's sawyer and saeed subdue everyone and then they end up handcuffing Jin to the wreckage which i always yeah. just going a bit <laughs> further forward i always find funny because even at the point i'm at now he's still got that handcuff on <laughs> <laughs> brilliant oh, that, oh, yeah, of course it's continuity yeah, for you. yeah that, that is continuity good. for you, you know so even goal? in like mid-season two i think he's still yeah still on his left hand <laughs> oh. <laughs> whenever um zaid and sawyer come to break up the fight saeed or rather saeed's stuntman absolutely cleans gin he just <laughs> <laughs> he knocks him away and beat i just I had to rewind it three or four times because it was hilarious <laughs> I must I must admit like the, the early the, the early fights in the in this show are hilarious because they really really put the punching effect on like it's so loud on some of them and like you say <laughs> proper cleans him out properly cleans him out I always think the same when like Sawyer and Saeed first had their fight in the pilot episodes and you just think there was a lot of thwacking mm. going on it was like straight out of Batman <laughs> 60s Batman <laughs> But just just furthering that along, so the handcuffed Jin to the wreckage and Michael, I believe, thinks it's racially motivated uh, at, at the time. And then he ends up telling Walt that that's not the case. Um, and then I guess we get the next big twist of the series where Sun finds Michael and speaks to him in English. I need to talk to you. Yes, about yeah. the watch, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah, it was a watch, isn't it? Yes, uh, it's the watch. Son's dad's watch that he bequeathed mm-hmm. to Jin, or he yep. gave it to him as a gift. I don't know. I think that's where the on on honor of that culture comes into play. Definitely. Yeah. Even on this, even yeah. on the island, he's still uh, protecting his, well, his father-in-law, but also basically his his boss's property. His Casio. It's yeah, it's Casio, yeah. Yeah, I must have this digital watch. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, so I, I I remember at the time, and still am quite. It's still quite shocking. Something as trivial as being able to speak English can be played into being such a massive twist, and it's still really well executed. Watching it back all these years later, I think it. Um... Besides, the, in terms of developing the story, I think it really legitimizes um, Jin and Son as characters, as Korean characters, because even if they're, and we, you know, we discuss, we can't think of a show which is this international, but if there was, they would probably have them English speaking straight away, and absolutely, and not and not try to be as authentic as possible. So the fact that they did have them speaking Korean for the duration of the episode where they're in their flashbacks and when they're together, it just makes it feel more as real as it can be in the situation, which is very, very good. And yeah, absolutely. And, and, and then 
you get the I guess the further twist that not only can Sun speak English but Jin's unaware of this. Yes. Which again adds yeah. further tension into the mix. And I'm sure that will come spilling out at some point. I can't recall when, but I'm sure it'll end up in some kind of a heated debate. It does. Yeah. It, 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 yeah, I can confirm. <laughs> it's a heated one, as as it often is in this first season. But we don't actually um, learn about why Jin has blood on him. I mean, he could have just been making jam yet, no. or something. I don't know. But... It could have been, yeah. <laughs> in a freak jam accident, he got jam all over his white, his white shirt. Yeah, now put, put on this Armani suit. Now we've got a big order at the jam factory going out tomorrow. We need to go and supervise because they're, they're slacking, so we need to order out by 12 p.m., Jin. Okay, I'm on it. Big exit at the jam factory, just, just everywhere. <laughs> but whilst we are talking about the, the blood on the shirt, you do obviously, like you say, it doesn't get resolved as yet. It, it's a bit further down the line in the season, but you straight away you think, okay, he's in, he's in too deep in something here he's, he's involved in something that's not not legal or not nice at the very least i guess there's a scene a flashback scene where son's father goes come into my office gin and uh, i want you to do this for me uh i guess yes yeah I bet it's, <laughs> no. <laughs> and he's like i'm just yeah. a, i'm just a simple waiter i don't and he's like right I'm, I'm this one's not for me. This one's, this not, one's for me. not for me. Yeah, it's like, yeah. well, if you don't, then you can't marry my daughter. I bet I'm exactly correct. <laughs> More, yeah, from what I can remember of where I'm, I'm up to at the moment, yeah, he, um, he basically tells him he needs to do something for him to prove his honour, and yeah, yeah, it, it's malicious. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's another example of them chopping up the flashbacks and then fitting them in piece by piece. As they go along, which also, just whilst we're talking about it, makes me definitely think in these early days that they were, they definitely had a big story Bible of each character because you can't just on the fly write flashbacks like that and then fill bits in as you go along. You've got to have it and then chop it up as and when you please. Definitely. Yeah. This, otherwise, it would have, it would be, it would have been incoherent and would have made much sense in those earlier seasons. So, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Part of me was wondering. Sorry, sorry. Go um, on, John. I was just wondering what the episode, because the past two um, episodes, the, the White Rabbit one and this one, have both had flashbacks to, say, the very beginning of whatever the character's journey was, right up until they get on the plane, pretty much. Because um, this one ends with, with Jin and Son in the, the airport queue. I was just wondering if like the writers were trying to you know, tell tell the flashback story from start to finish in case they didn't get to tell any more of the story. You know, that's why I don't it. know um like I don't know when the, the rest of the series was, was picked up, you know, when they knew they were getting a, a second series or a third series. But um I just thought it was quite interesting that, that they, they wanted to tell maybe they wanted to tell the whole flashback story in that one character's spotlight episode just in case they didn't get to tell the full story later down the line and then that's they had nice. to, they had to fill point. in flashbacks. yeah uh, it, no, that's a good point actually because i read on wikipedia for the episode that the show is picked up for the full season after this one aired mm -hmm. so i guess they had already probably made the decision before but it, oh, okay. it just okay. it, it happened after this episode was aired oh really okay yeah yeah and i, th I think in terms of a second season it was building up towards the finale um, that 
it's maybe something to have a look for for next week um but i think it was definitely towards the end because the ratings got ridiculous towards the finale ending um that it would have been picked up for a second season for sure like even yeah even with like if this episode had only been the the only Jin and Son episode that we got, I think it's again repeating myself, but it's really effective because we only had maybe five or six flashbacks within the whole episode. But that last one, um, where where um, Son is contemplating, you know, leaving to get in the car, and again, I'm going to talk about the score, but like everything combines in that scene to make that really emotional. And you've only known these this characters these characters' backstory for maybe like ten minutes in total over the, the six <laughs> flashbacks, and. Um, you know, when when he looks back at her and he, he shows her the flower, which you know she she mentioned previously in the episode, um, it's just like, oh yeah, no, get on the plane. Like I know it's going to crash, but get on the plane with your husband. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect writing, and it shows that there are two sides to Jin, and I think the one that mm-hmm. wins overall is his love for Son. Um, it's just he's a very conflicted mm-hmm. gentleman, unfortunately. But yeah, I, yeah, I totally agree. He's he's he plays it as such a. He's such a dick to her sometimes, and he doesn't yeah. he doesn't answer her when she's asking him about what's the blood on the shirt. She lets that slide. She knows that her father's a a powerful man, but you know she doesn't talk about that, and he doesn't either. So she knows the stuff going on. She has every right mm-hmm. to. And we're getting into a bit of a like <laughs> desperate housewives conversation here. She has every right to leave him if she wants to, <laughs> but but. There's another it's, thing it's, going on. Sorry, there's like another go thing on. going on. We've gone about the subject of, of daddy issues. Of course, like um, son falls into that. But why are all the dads like super rich and super successful? Like you've got um, son's <laughs> dad, Christian Shepherd, um, uh, Charles Widmore. Like, everyone's dad has got like a really prominent role or successful job in some degree, or really successful. Yeah. Forgot about Charlie Widmore. Yeah, yeah old Adam <laughs> Dow. Yeah. He's always the bad guy. He's in everything, isn't he? He's in honestly. <laughs> we, we've just been watching Captain America again, and he's he's a bloody like five minute villain on a screen with Robert Redford. And I literally said to Emma, "He's here again. <laughs> he's there." We we just did a rewatch of the OC last year, and he's he's in that and all. Yeah, I think that was one of his first um, American roles after he left Neighbors, the OC. Yeah, he was Ke- Caleb Nichols. Yeah, but he was in, yeah he was. He was for the yeah. mid two thousands. He was in everything, absolutely everything. And he was never, he never the good guy. He's always the bad guy. No, no. He basically he was the um, Mark. Can't remember his name. Who's the guy that's in Tinker Tailor with Gary Oldman? Oh, oh uh, Mark, Mark Strong. Strong. Mark, yeah. Basically, that Mark Mark Alan Dale was the Mark Strong <laughs> in that era. <laughs> Just a bag on everything. Of early noughties television. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to for him to come into the series. I love talking about Alan Dale. He's great. <laughs> He's fantastic. One thing that I uh, took a note of, and um, it's a bit of a sidebar, I guess, from um, Sun and Jin themselves, is the little bits that are the, uh, the subplots, should I say. So we're going into the caves for the first time with Jack, Kate, Charlie, and I think Locke as well to investigate it and there's a little fun bit with charlie stepping on a beehive i don't know if anyone um, else really liked that scene but i enjoyed that yeah brilliant bit of comedy and tension absolutely it's, it felt like don monaghan was very much doing his, his hobbit shtick 
over again. You know, it kind of imagine <laughs> like him, Merry and Pippin are in a field and they're like, oh no, you've trod on a beehive, don't move. <laughs> Mr. Frodo, come and help me. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what i mean <laughs> just <laughs> i always i always know you always know in those scenes when ever anyone says oh yeah we'll get something to weigh it up it's always going to break you know <laughs> when you transfer the, the human's weight to something else it's always going to break so there was yeah. that little bit and then also this is the first uh introduction and it's not resolved for much much later but the adam and eve skeletons in the caves Oh yes, which are yeah. um, Bosch and Alison Janney. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Correct. I isn't that completely forgot about those skeletons? Isn't it? Um, I can't remember. It's like obviously in the show, but we are jumping quite far ahead. But that episode where they're um, Alison Janney's um, like guest starring in, it's like one of the most polarizing episodes of Lost Ever because it's just completely just. It's just completely different to any other episode they've done. It's purely focused yeah, it's... on Jacob and and Blackie. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad from memory. Um, I don't, re- I can't really remember much of it. If I'm perfectly honest, it it, it does from memory. It, it does dip into massive uh, religious allegories and um, different time mm. settings. Which, even though we do get used to that in this, it's just it's. It's one of those that I'd imagine the Lindelof. I think Lindelof wrote it, and you can imagine him getting high and writing it and thinking, "Yeah, that'll do." <laughs> I'm sure people. Pipe weed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure the I'm sure the audience want to know this information. It's it's maybe one of those episodes where they told too much. You don't really want to know certain origins of certain characters, but we'll get to that as we yeah. get to it. Um, so Jack yeah, finds so... stones on their bodies. Is that that's right, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The what? The black and white. One black, one white. Which I guess, looking back, did they intend for that? I don't know. If they did, it's a tiny bit of genius, I guess. But I, I quite like that he estimates that they've been dead for like forty, fifty years, and you think they're clearly much older than that. <laughs> Like judging by the de- decomposition of their uh, of their outfits or whatever, yeah, 40, 50 right. years. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the the Adam and Eve, which obviously it has to be Locke who dubs them Adam and Eve, just to fit in with the spirituality mm. of the island and that character. Yeah, no one, no one even like challenges it. It's like, oh, shut your bloody Bible bashing weirdo. Just... <laughs> You're like, oh, he's back. <laughs> Here he is. Here he is. Locke's back. And also, there's a nice little moment uh, I've got in my notes here with Locke and Charlie when they're clearing the wreckage at the caves and uh, Locke actually recognises Charlie from Driveshaft. (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought was really kind of a stroke of genius because aside from adding a bit of another layer to Locke, it's just nice that Charlie gets his ego tickled a little bit, I guess. Isn't... um... I can't, doesn't isn't like their second album called Oil Change or something really? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's what it is. <laughs> I didn't yeah. like Oil it's, Change it's, as much. It's that sophomore effort that didn't do well, <laughs> basically. <laughs> but there's but, there's definitely moments in this because this obviously helped them to win the award for Charlie's uh, the portrayal of Charlie's addiction. So there's moments between John and Charlie where I think John is 
he acknowledges that Charlie's got a problem. He doesn't. But he might not actually explicitly state that he knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then he also mentioned about his guitar, and he's he's like, you know, he has faith that he'll find his guitar. But I'm not sure if he actually if he actually catches him taking taking his uh his Charlie. Uh, no, no, I, I think he does because he has a whole speech about you know um, if you want something from this island, you have to, to give it something, and I think he talks about withdrawal as well. I think. Um, no, he does. He's, that, he's, re- he's, he's at the end. He's at the end, and yeah, that's it. He says at the end, you know, he knows that he 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 either tells him or he implies he knows he's addicted to heroin, and he says, mm. if you give up your drugs, the island will give you your guitar. Yeah, yeah. It's like and he's... He's, that's when that's when he shows him where the guitar is. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. There's in, always in, like a manipulation fact, sort of factor in there as well with John, almost. Yes, and that again, that's him. Like we've already said, that's him using his psychological uh, spirituality, I guess. But he knows more about this island than everyone else. Yeah, it's almost like a, like a preacher who's. Who's kind of uh, at a congregation? He's proclaiming that he's spoken to God, or he's he's had the word of God, and now he's he's um, he's deciphering it, and he's and he's presenting it to the people, to the masses. So John is kind of doing something very, not not similar to that, but something in the same in a similar vein to that, where he's slowly, kind of um, just drip feeding little pockets of of good words to mm-hmm. people to try and get them on side and get them believing. Yeah. Yeah. Was it, was it this episode or maybe the, the previous one? I can't remember where he's speaking to somebody and he says he looked into the eye of the Island and what he saw was beautiful. It was like in one of the past episodes. I don't know if we've, we've talked about it, but I think yeah. it was this one with Jack, uh, last one with Jack. Previous one. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's, 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 uh, he's bought into it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Hook, line, sinker. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fair That's enough. It. Yeah, it works. What I also love about this episode is um, that this uh, there's this little side plot involving Kate and Jack and Sawyer. It's only briefly hinted on, but um, there's this divide which obviously takes place where they're discussing about whether they're going to move to the cave, and there's lots of good points on both sides of the argument. And at the end of the episode, it kind of focuses on Kate on the last shot because. Um, Kate is clearly torn between Jack and Sawyer in both ways. You know, obviously she feels his attraction to Sawyer um, and to Jack as well, but they're opposing ideologies. She, she kind of sees both sides, and um, because the she's clearly torn because you know because of the themes of duality. She has two sides to her. She obviously has this um, vulnerability to her, which Jack speaks to, and then she has this rebellious. Uh, um, uh, quite unquote criminal side or rebellious side that uh, that that Sawyer is more um, uh, she speaks to Sawyer with on a stronger level. So I did like that kind of little seed was sown there for for the love triangle. So uh, in some degree, anyway. Yeah, and mm, Sawyer has better definitely. hair. Definitely. Yes. Well, Without a doubt. Yeah, better hair. <laughs> I love Sawyer. And he reads books as well. Yeah, he's a he's a he's a uh, well-read bastard, isn't he? At the end of the day, I, and just moving on with that. So Jin's still locked up 
against the the wreckage and this is after michael's spoken with son he approaches Jin with an axe and he chops him off uh chops off his handcuffs which obviously as we've already joked about he maintains up until at least mid-season two um (laughs) (laughs) for continuity purposes uh he throws the watch at him and this is the note i took from it as well um he says that the fight over the watch was was stupid because time doesn't matter on a damn island. Now again, I don't know if the whole time the time travel thing was already thought about at this point, but it's just little things that you notice in it as you rewatch these things and you think, oh my god, were they being literal or mm-hmm. is it just a, a a matter of phrasing? I don't know. Well, sort to find out, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, it's just it's just funny when I looked at it, I was like, I literally I remember writing it down and going, you sons of bitches, like. Don't tell me that that is a thing. I hope it. I, I don't know. It's, it, weird it's to just think, something I picked up. It's weird to think that any of this, what we like, you know, with John, when um, you know, listed off those um, plot threads, which are still kind of built to tie up these mysteries. It's mm. weird to think that all of it, um, everything in the show in these seasons, in the early season, are deliberate. And it's, I think it's true. Everything was deliberate to some degree. Whether they figured out the ending, there was plot threads starting that they wanted to explain later on. So every single shot, every single discovery, like, you know, the, the bodies, um, uh, you know, Jin and Sun's watch, everything was deliberate. I'm pretty certain of that. Mm. I'd agree. What I was going to say was just a few things based around the production, because obviously that kind of brings the episode to an end. Um uh michael saying to Jin, you know stay away from me and my boy which obviously becomes <laughs> basically all michael says um and then charlie is playing his guitar as people kind of return from the beach to the cave and as we've already said kate's involved in that as well so there's lots of things happening already six episodes in we've you know like we've already said it could have been like an exposition dump really this whole this whole scenario and yet it's all very logically thought out and we're all invested at this point even now on a rewatch like my fourth or fifth rewatch of this show over the years still just as invested if not more um but some of the things that i've found interesting when i did a bit of research about it so um house of the rising sun is a reference to the song of the same name by the English rock group, The Animals, from 1964. Uh, a little song. bit of trivia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great song. I thought it was a nice little um, nice little reference. But funnily enough, as we've been discussing, um, the uh, Yunjin Kim and Daniel Day Kim, uh, who play Sun and Jin, were both worried about uh, the depiction of the Korean relationship uh, as being potentially outdated. Um and I think they had extensive talks with uh, J.J. Abrams and Lindelof uh, about developing the characters to try and find a way to make it not not so outdated. Because, like we've already said, there were those at this time. There would have been those stereotypes in place. The you know the the Korean character on another show would probably be speaking English straight away. And I thought that was quite a nice thing that. They actually work together to try and think, okay, so how can we push this further? How can we actually make this real? And yeah. for all intents and purposes, I think they did amazing. 
Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I'm not sure about the history of the, of the, of the characters and their and the, the um the genesis of the characters in the initial stages, but you do get a lot. You read a lot of things on um, IMDb trivia or Wikipedia that uh, roles were written with actors in mind. So it might be a case very similar to where um, Young Jin Kim and Daniel Day Kim obviously had ideas because they were a bit apprehensive about how they were written initially. So then they went to Abrams and Lindelof and said, look, we've got these ideas. And then they're like, okay, yeah, that works. That makes a lot more logical sense. And you guys obviously have a, a bit more knowledge about it because it's your culture, it's your country. So yeah. maybe they kind of yeah. did that with, you know, before they started um, filming. I think, yeah, I think uh, both actors are, they're both Korean American, but they were, they were born in Korea and yeah. raised in the U S but they've got that they've got that cultural reference and i think the um uh, the writer of the episode who we've already mentioned Javier Grillo how do, how do you pronounce his surname i think it's Mark Swatch Mark Swatch yeah. um he's he i've got another note here saying you know obviously he doesn't speak korean and he struggled to write the episode initially because he couldn't get into that cultural headspace for which he, you know, he got no personal reference himself. So, you know, how could he possibly write an episode like this? So, I think by having uh, Day Kim and Yunjin Kim, um, almost kind of helping shape the episode, it was really to the show's advantage in a way. Oh, definitely, yeah. definitely. And and I think as well, you've got that wonderful perspective as well i know from an audience point of view it's fantastic to watch but Jin really is in the worst case scenario you know he's he's got he's with all these strangers he doesn't speak any english and given what little we know of him already in the flashbacks he's already suspicious of people in, in general so it's just perfect drama fodder i was gonna say we we haven't because i remember vividly i hated michael as a character i thought he was the, just one of the most utterly just abhorrent characters. I, and I think that's just the way it's written. It was written to be um, a point of conflict. Rubbish. Yeah. But, <laughs> I agree with you there. But I've not seen it. And I've, I've just remembered, like, I know it's a long time ago and I watched it like 14 years ago, whatever you want to say, or 10 years ago now. But I remember vividly quite early on just disliking Michael because he was always causing shit. Um, but that's not really happened yet. It's kind of just, just little moments when him and and that's all we've had so far um, yeah. aside from a couple of the altercation with Jin and Sun but I'm pretty sure that's obviously the, uh, Walt becomes a big character towards later episodes um, but I, I don't know when when does that come into play and when does Michael take more prominence is that midway through um, I'd say midway midway through uh, because he gets to a point I mean he gets his his flashback episode where you get a bit of detail obviously about his his uh, his life prior and there's a lot of grief and angst in all of that uh very naturally written episode if i'm honest it's just maybe how it's played that he become to be honest with you he doesn't come across as frustrating as he was initially i will say that um hmm. but i'd say mid-season when he decides to build the raft really he comes more into play <laughs> oh yeah god i remember this i'm remembering it all now <laughs> yeah, he decides one day, you know, I'm getting my boy off the island. We're going to build a raft. And everyone looks at him like, huh? <laughs> and then you get the whole politics about who's going to go on the raft with him and so on and so forth. Um, oh God, yeah. So there's all that to come. 
the one thing the thing I'd I'd like to leave off with is a bit of a nice thing and it's is another bit to do with the production of the episode, but um the 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 bee storyline, i.e. the one with uh, the other characters actually stepping on the bees, um was filmed with some real bees <laughs> from what I can gather. They're digital bees or I don't know. <laughs> the majority of them are digital. Uh and the fear of bees that Charlie has is based on uh, the writer's real life experience, uh, but apparently they um, they Call covered the Dominic Monaghan in sticky honey <laughs> <laughs> to encourage the bees to land on him and stay there, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. And they apparently they were uh, male drones, which meant they uh, they didn't have any stingers, and you could handle them easily. Which would make bees a lot nicer. Well, they're nice anyway. I think you just don't piss them off, do you? But... Don't step on the so hive. So I just just don't step on the hive, yeah, and don't get involved with hornets either because they're just bastards. <laughs> yeah, the, the majority is yeah, but yeah, yeah, don't yeah, <laughs> don't get involved with them. Anyway, I'll be the next and podcast. That... Lost, lost yeah. in the age of murder hornets. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there for that one. We've we probably have plenty of time. Let's face it. So, so that's true. So, just just I before that, um, you, you finish, there was these past yeah, three episodes for some reason really really annoyed me. These past three episodes because I'd written down like a new thing that I could do in the podcast, and it was what is Shannon's bullshit this week, which is not in the either of these episodes. It's really annoying. Oh <laughs> shit! God, no, yeah, it's not. she has a conversation with Sawyer about something. Thing. Is she doing this week? And she's barely in them both. So I was really annoyed. I was I was hoping to, to vent some spleen there, but she's not in them. So, well, I, I was very happy recently when I got to season two, and you know why, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah, to, to be honest, she's another one, a bit like Michael, like rewatching it back. She's she's annoying. Don't get me wrong, but she's not as bad as I remembered her. Maybe I just had a lot of disgust for her when I was younger. I don't know. It's very strange. I think, very, we're very strange. More, I think we're more desensitized to that type of character now because pretty much everyone who's on Instagram is exactly like her. <laughs> oh God. God, Shannon is like predates Instagram, doesn't it? Yeah, it's just a typical. I guess so, so does Boom to, uh, to an effect as well. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think we're just used to that seeing that kind of person now, so just kind of go over our heads quite easily. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. But, uh, <laughs> next episode, definitely punched it in for that one. Watch Shan's bullshit today, or this episode. <laughs> Tell you what, for this oh, whole first season, for anyone who listen is actually listening to this, you know, we'll have a for the first season, we'll have a Shannon meter. We'll try and figure out how <laughs> what what's Shannon doing this week, and what's Boone doing or not doing, and yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see what we can uh, dig up. Or we but could next do week, a, we could do a Michael. Uh, oh, shouting, a Michael one as well. Michael shouting walk to count. <laughs> oh God, I. Can... All you need is the raft episode, and that's your quota. Let me tell you that much. I had to mute it at one point; it was doing my head in. <laughs> but next week will be episode seven, the moth, which is, I believe, a Charlie episode. Yeah. And episode eight, confidence man, which is Mister Sawyer. Ooh. So we'll have a lot to dig into next week because that is a good week. That is a good week. So, thank you guys. Yep, thank you guys. Stay safe as always. And you. And 
for anyone listening, thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, speak soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.